Gaming and BS episode 204 coming to you Wednesday, August 15th, 2018. Welcome to Gaming NBS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I am Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Welcome back if you've been with us before. Glad to have you all on board. Who? Who? Man, I had a long-ass gaming weekend. Sean, did you did you game this last weekend? I did game this past weekend, Brett. A little Tomb of Annihilation action? A little Tomb of Annihilation action. Had a fatality. A- there you go. That a yeah. boy. Yeah. We came, uh, I had my buddy Alpha's running the 5e Temple of Elemental Evil. We came close to dying, made our way through that. My uh, thief patch continues to exist, luckily. <laughs> For one, my dice betrayed me at a couple points, but the key clutch moments, they stuck with me, so that was good. And then uh, it was Star Wars, D6 Star Wars. My pilot continues to question the sanity of the rest of his crew. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. I've learned something though that as a uh, as a player, I really don't want to be the player who's in charge of things. No, no, I think it's because I'm in charge of everything else at work every day. <laughs> when when your job is to be in charge of people and things and processes and departments and such, and then you sit down, and you're like, you know what? I don't want to be in charge of stuff. What's your opinion? I'll do whatever you guys want to do. Well, that's not a good opinion, seriously, man. Don't make me choose because I really don't want to choose today. But it's uh, it's good. It was good. I like being a player. I haven't played a lot, um, or I shouldn't say I've not played as much as I have recently. With you, uh, played with you, and then with um, Chris and Tom and uh, and the folks on the Wednesday evening thing. And Kevin's running right now. And then um, yeah, with this stuff, it's just it's fun to be on the other side of the screen again for a while. I was such a GM only for a long time. It's nice to play. So what's Kevin run? Kevin is running an Avalon game right now. Oh, that's cool. right. Yes. Yeah. Do a little recording on that. We should be playing tomorrow again. Yes, tomorrow. Because everyone's back from Origins and and Gen Con and Tom, Origins was a while ago. Sorry, Gen Con. And Tom Flanagan just got back from his big uh, beach vacation with the family. So should be good. Ooh. All right. Uh, actual gaming-like announcement. So Queen City Conquest coming up September 7, 8, and 9. That is right around the corner, people. I will be there. My wife and my two adorable youngest children will be with me. I'll be running a couple games there. I may get suckered into doing a panel or something, too. I don't know. But that is what? That is one, two, three weeks away only. So, Queen City Conquest. Link in the show notes. Check it out if you're in the uh, Buffalo, New York area. might be kind of fun. And if you're a BS listener, it would be great to see you guys. And uh, ladies and such and thus, so stop on by. We'd love to love to see you there. So, cool. Uh, do do do. Gamehole Con. I think it uh, events opened up, so people's wish lists are getting filled up and or denied because everything. <coughs> excuse me, everything filled up on them. We had a couple of our listeners do the curses. I couldn't get in the game I wanted thing. But I think Alex has said it quite well on some of the social media pieces. More games are going to come in. They have more events yet to be. Put up. Actually, I think they've got another special guest that they're going to announce too. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, he hasn't given us the uh, the the total skinny on that yet, but that's coming. Oh, so anyway, boy, if, if you're coming to Game Hole, lots of cool stuff as always. 
Get out there, get your badge. Shit, I still need to get my badge. But anyway, plenty of good games left. Hopefully we'll see you there. And Evercon, our uh, submissions are still open. And by submissions, I mean I'd love to have some solid BSers running games, giving panels, talks, running games, lots of games, any kind of game, board games, card games, RPGs especially. Love to have folks there. So Evercon.org, link in the show notes as always. Hope to see folks there as well. Sean, you got any announcements? Anything big? No, I do not. No announcements for this guy. Well, before we go too far, I got to say, Sean, I am still very glad that you're with us. It was oh. year, about a year ago, about this time, we took the only non uh, non organized day off because uh, Sean had the motorcycle accident. So glad you're still here, man. Yeah, that was a year ago. Um, year ago yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy how fast that went. It was fast. Not, I'm not not just the accident itself, but the time between. I mean, you explained to me before, like, oh my god, it happened so quick. But just the time, a whole year has gone by since then. So, just it's good to see you and Tam. Glad you guys are still here. Yeah, still glad to be here, Brett. Awesome. All right, let's random well, encounter it up. Yeah, let's get in a random encounter. Right, random encounter. We got a voicemail audio from Mr. Blake Ryan. Oh boy, buckle up, kids. G'day, this is Blake Ryan from Australia. Okay, regarding the episode about less than optimal stats, I struggled with Pathfinder for two years as every character was non optimized because I wanted an interesting character with, you know, hobbies and goals, not just I am awesome at the thing. By sixth level, I found every single character was fail- often failing saving throws and missing attack rolls. And as Brett said, it's, you know, the odd miss is fun, but frequent misses not so much. When I walked away from that game, I knew two things. One, I was not playing it right. And two, it was not the game for me. Part of the issue with low stats is performance and others' attitude towards it. The first time I got to play Vampire the Masquerade is a good example. Uh, The game gives points for stats and skills, so you can't roll bad stats. You can make a group of characters that either don't work well together or don't fit in with the plot. But that wasn't a problem either. The game started my vampire trying to feed, so you get a feel for the genre. I failed to grab someone in the parking lot. Five failed rolls in a row. So those roles made my character look stupid and ineffectual, and from that moment on, the storyteller and the other players didn't want to interact with me, referring to me as a loser. So those botched roles meant not only did I fail my task, but I failed to represent my character's skill set and role in the team. In contrast to this, when I ran Cyberpunk 2020 in the 90s, many characters with high stats died purely because of good combat roles, regardless of their stats. One character had 8s, 9s and 10s for stats out of 10, and that didn't stop him getting his head ripped off in the first round of combat. The player and I found it funny, but the other players were quite annoyed about it. Back in the day, people who didn't mind low stats were also the players that had tried other systems with merits and flaws, like Hero, GURPS and World of Darkness. Not only did you get points back, um, but you could roleplay too. However, for games without these options, a GM can throw some good things in the game. So if your character has a low dexterity... Maybe he can keep finding stuff in the dungeon, or maybe they're a hit with the ladies. So the character has failed some deck saves, uh, but while they're paralyzed or knocked down, they notice some insight into the enemy's tactics or weaknesses. Keep the dice and the zip zaps rolling. All right. I can. I feel really bad that Blake had a 
a bad that that <laughs> not only did he fail the role, but people referred to him as a loser. Oh my god, his dice were bad for crying out loud! What a terrible, what a terrible group, man. I hope, I hope to whatever gamer gods are out there, you don't ever have to game with those with that pack of bastards again. Oh my god, that's terrible. Just rude. Good points though, Blake. Very good stuff. I think the um. I think everything you said there struck a chord with us. I think that that made sense to me. I like all of that. Sean, what do you got? Anything? No. I, it's it's no good. No, it's not. It's not. Because <laughs> that'd be, I mean, well, I just hinted at, well, I didn't hint. I said directly, my dice failed me a couple times this last weekend. And if you've ever seen Sean at a D20 game, his dice will never work for him. It's just a fact. You can't pick on Sean for that. It just No. No. Oh, yeah, yes, you can. It's Sean. Yeah, it's okay for Sean. That's fine. I'll take the hit. <laughs> At least not like that. Damn. Right. Good points, though, Blake. Very good stuff. I, and the other piece, too, is you have the optimized character. Depending on the on the game system you're running, some like a Cyberpunk or one of the old-school-style games, even if you optimize the shit out of it, and you still die because, hey, guess what? The capriciousness of dice, man. Your head explodes. There she goes. <laughs> oh, Lord. All right, Sean, over to you, sir. All right. Jonah Shetler writes in, Hey, game and NBS. I'm a fledgling tabletop content creator, and I'm currently in the research phase of a video essay slash guide. I very much enjoy teaching players how to play Dungeons and Dragons, specifically 5e. I've noticed several concepts and rules that newer players get hung up on, and am planning on making a video specifically addressing those rules and offering detailed but accessible explanations for players who might be confused. I have a list already, but I am aware that I've only been DMing for a few years while you guys have considerably more experiences to draw from. So I ask you, gentlemen of Gaming NBS, what sorts of things do you find newer players get hung up on the most? Thanks so much and hope to be a Patreon supporter soon. Jonah. Cool. Thank you, Jonah. Yeah, thanks, Jonah. Well, I'll tell you what, man. When you're talking about D&D, it's... For those of us who have played D&D for a while or various different games and someone says, hey, how do you memorize spells in this game? How do you figure out what spells you get? Is it this chart? What is a, um, oh, my cleric has a domain spell. Is that the same as a day spell? Can I flip? So the how, the cleric, the druid, the warlock, the sorcerer, and the wizard, and any other spellcasting character class, paladins, rangers, everybody that can cast spells in, in your D&D game, understanding this spell gaining, casting, all those mechanics. I have found that more people understand how to cast the spell. Pretty simple. Like, oh, here's my spell DC, here's my spell save. You calculate that, you change it up every level or whatever, and off you go. But I have found people get hung up on how spells are learned, memorized, obtained, all of that stuff. That has been a sticking point for um, for new players. For those of us who are old hacks, old hacks at it, where you look at, it, oh yeah, well it must be like that. Oh yeah, it's got to work like this, and we'll figure it out, and we just trundle it right along. It doesn't. It might be a little annoying that it doesn't quite work the way we thought it did, but we we sort it out fairly quickly. But that's one that new players, especially new to spellcasting, that tends to trip people up in my experience. Sean, have you got any? I would say that, and the movement economy trips people up. Like, what can they do? Well, so. If you're playing a game, well, he specifically notes 5e. So it's not as complex as some of the previous editions, but still a what? how much can I do, what can I do, what counts 
as a action, bonus action, move action, some of those details, I would say. Um, so I think the, the, the spell component piece and that action economy for sure. I think in that, yeah, the other piece that will get people with um, D&D is a reaction, a bonus action, the various different when Sean says action economy, think about those components because you'll have somebody who's like, oh, I have the, I have a reaction. I can take that as a bonus action. And even with my seasoned group of many years, be like, is a reaction the same as a bonus? Shit, let's look that up real quick. You know, because it will, it can get confusing if you're using a term that, if you're using a term whose mechanics are very, very similar or seem to allow the same type of thing in a given instance, <clears throat> that can be a big one. The other piece I've found is kind of the, I wonder if it's uh, D&D specific or for new players to understand sometimes is the um, wounding, right? So when we talk in D&D terms, if you have one hit point, you can do the same amount of actions that you could if you had 100 hit points. Right. You still attack, fight, run, whatever. So people, the natural assumption is that, oh, I only have five hit points left. Oh, I probably don't have any strength. Oh, I'm so weak. No, you're not. You're not. In strictest D&D rules as written, unless I completely miss something in 5e, you have the same ability to punch Tiamat in the face at one hit point that you did at 1,000 hit points. That's all the same. So that that can be hard for certain people to understand. Um, and um, let's see. I can't think of anything else offhand. Those are the big ones for me. Sean, anything else you can think of? So I think that's and... Um, yeah, I think those are the big ones. So, I mean... I ran into this the past weekend where it was somebody died. They're on a trap. They want to remove them from the trap. So they want to move in there, pick them up, also pick up something else that they dropped, throw one person out of the hallway. And so some of this, some about 5e, I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent here, but go for it. When you are playing some of the, when you have the old school mentality, dare I say OSR mentality, and you're playing some of those games that maybe don't outline a certain move economy, you explain what you're doing, and then the game master adjudicates that component. Well, as, oppo- as opposed to, well, we've talked about this before, yes. we're searching the room. Right. As opposed to, I roll search, what do I find? Right. So in your instance, Sean, somebody could say, I roll athletics to see if I can move him or whatever. Is that where you're going? Right. right. Well, yes. Yeah. So you could look at the rules and say, well, okay, you're going to move in there. So you have a movement of 30 and it's 10 feet away. So you can do that. Then you're going to grab the person and toss them out. Okay. Tossing out isn't an action. Like there isn't a... Oh, I'm going to look up tossing, tossing a person. What is that? Right. Yep. So that's fine. And then you look at, oh, and I'm going to pick up this other thing. And then I'm also going to run out of that room. Now, in the older school stuff, you just, you, you figure out what is reasonable. And you let that player know almost even before, even ahead of time. Well, here's what you can do. You can move in there. You can grab the person and chuck them out. 
but you're not going to be able to do that and grab this or grab that. You can grab, go in there, grab the other thing, chuck that out of there, or run that out of there. Mm-hmm. So you, it's almost like you're giving a lot more options to a player character so that they can understand exactly what they're able to do in the capa- in the context of the situation. Because, uh, I mean, say well, this thing is like, say this person's 60 feet away or 25 feet away, you know, then it's all this. Because then you go by the rules and go, well, the rules say I can move up to 30. And then I should be able to do something else or I could do a double move. Well, a double, then I'll to, use a bonus action that lets me pick him up and throw him, right? Right, oh, wait, right. Hang on a second. Yeah. So there's there's that component. So I think if you I think so the lesson here is with my little tirade here is if you think of things in in outside of the rules and just say all right you are approximately so many feet away you are attempting to what are you trying to attempt and they explain it to you I my goal is to get that person out of there because they're in danger and they're unconscious I also want to save the item from getting crushed or whatever. What what can I do? And then the game master says, well, you could do this or you could do that. Oh, and by the way, you know that if you attempt to do that, well, you risk X or Y. So this reminds me of my discussion a few episodes back when I was talking about running D&D for my son's birthday back in April. And the one kid wanted to stab the creature in the nose. Oh, and boy. I got, I got a little bit of flack because it doesn't work <laughs> like that. So honestly, though, think about this. New player. New player, not just kids, new players. So what do you do? I take my sword and I cut his head off. I've heard adults say that. Brand new adult gamers. High school gamers, new adult gamers. I want to do this thing. Yeah, I've got him. He's down. You said he's down, right? So I stab him right through the eye. There is no stab him through the eye rule in D&D. There's no cold shot. It doesn't yeah. exist. So again, if you go back to that episode where I got a little shit from people and we, we talked it back and forth, it was, it, was, it was fun. It was a good back and forth. But be prepared for that type of thing because new players, when they get into the descriptions, they're doing what Sean was talking about. They're doing that OSR style of troubleshooting. And then when combat comes or even they're troubleshooting, they get more descriptive. And it's great because they're into the moment. There's passion. There's energy. There's a lot of theater going on. And they want to do this thing. And you have to say, well, there's no cold shots. Roll D20. Or, okay, you can try that, but this. Well, I can't let you, you know, be prepared for that. Because the concept of D&D combat is not blow by blow. Never has been. It's always been a series of blows, cuts, dodges, and weaves, and blocks. <clears throat> and your armor class is representative of all of those skills to avo- to block, dodge, parry, thrust, spin. Uh, um, you never saw Bugs Bunny Man? Come on. Daffy Duck. Right. Anyway, total aside. And then your hit points is, again, a vague reference to how tough you are and all of those things. How much dodging and blocking and parrying can you do before they finally whittle you down and you cannot fight anymore? And attacks are just, again, flurries of blows and misses and such. So people will, I roll, I hit, oh, I hit. And they tend to take that single hit, that single die roll equals a single sword swing. And that's not how it works in D&D. Um, so it, it sometimes is helpful to say, you know, you block, you thrust, you finally are able to get one through, you know, covering, helping the players get into the moment and saying, you tried to do X, you know, how do I say this? So if you swing and you hit, they say, I swing and I try to hit him. If the description afterwards is, 
You swung in his, you swung low at his leg. He parried. You're able to pull, turn that into a feint and stab him through the stomach for an extra five points of damage for the five points of damage you did. Sounds good. People get the hint that there's more to. It's not just one strike equals a hit. You know, one strike could be a glancing blow. One strike could be a solid hit, or whatever the case is. So anyway, short short version here. Jonah, sorry to ramble on, but hey, that's what we do. You know what you asked for, Jonah, when you asked that's us. Right. That's right. <laughs> is it's the specificity of actions that they'll try to take. And knowing that D&D particularly does not have rules to allow some of that stuff. As it's written, doesn't mean you can't home rule it, screw the rules, make something happen. But be prepared. New players, in my experience, ha- can't have a tough time with that. Because especially in the heat of the moment, and they're jazzed up, they're standing up, they're throwing dice around their chair's edge, literally, telling you this really cool thing they want to do. Because it'd be so cool. I got this great idea. I'm going to stick a salt in his eye and then stab him. There's no salt in the eye and stab him mechanic. So how 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 are you going to do that? They're going to come up with this stuff, and you have to, being prepared on how to deal with that. I think is a good thing that new DMs and new players um, should should kind of get a, their brain wrapped around. Anything else, Sean? No. All right. Off we go. Thank you, John. That was very cool. Yes. And, and what you're doing there, man. Uh, video essay guides, uh, more power to you, brother. I think more people, different ways and means and approaches. Um, you know, you know, you've got um, Matt Colville out there doing different things. Now he's you know quasi famous within the, the gamer sphere, and other people doing stuff. We do this podcast. It doesn't matter if you've got a voice that you want to share with people around this type of thing. If you want to create something you think would be helpful, and you really want to do this, absolutely, Jonah, go for it and do it. If this is something you produce and you think, hey. Um, you'd like to get the word out and have people link or something, pass it to Sean and I. We'll be happy to, you know, push people to you, man. Yeah. All right, what do we got next? Ah, Michael Phillips on G+. Oh, here we go, here we go. <clears throat> I do have to disagree with Sean about the Wayfinder's Guide. The mechanical stuff is, uh, and is, is it just a translation of mechanics from, is just a translation of mechanics from third edition. There are big chunks of it that work with 5th edition in in ways that are much more divergent from 3rd edition than a direct translation could be. And while the book covers the same topics as the old Eberron campaign setting, it focuses completely differently. While the original books were much more like Almanacs and Gazetteers, this book talks more about how the setting affects everyday life for the characters. Where the religion book mostly told you about the mechanics of faith, this book tells you how being a member of the faith affects your daily life. It also introduces several new pieces of the setting that um, that derive from the rules as as physics from fifth edition that literally could not have been part of earlier editions because of the wolves because the wolves didn't work that way. What do you say to that, Sean? Except like Michael put you in your place. Boom. Yeah, <laughs> I should probably go back and reread that a little bit more in depth. I did I did peruse it and read bits and pieces of it, but I did not read it to the extent that uh, Mr. Phillips did, obviously. So thank you for the correction. I am not above being corrected. Uh, I'll tell you what, though. this is It's actually interesting because I started digging deeper into um, the uh, Invisible Sun box set. So I'm reading, yeah. I'm reading like page by page going, instead of doing the quick perusals, like what do I think, what do I think, kind of the initial thoughts, and then digging in deeper. It is very interesting how the first time you run something, you're like, ah, I played D&D before. How different could this be? And then you pick up 5th edition, you spin through, ah, it's just 5e. How hard could it be? And then someone says, how do you heal in this game? You're like, well, it's obviously a hit point a night. Uh, no, no, it's not. It's totally, 
isn't there some kind of a rest thing? What do you mean a rest? And it's definitely worth digging deeper, especially before you're going to run something. So good points from Mr. Phillips. Yeah. Over to you, Sean. Michael Drescher comments on 202 less than optimal stats. I agree with Sean's point. Hey. You win you win some, you lose some. Well, there you go. Low stat play is a okay, a okay, presuming the game doesn't expect you to have higher stats, or you take into account how that changes the entire system. The rest of the universe and the monster manual didn't roll three to six down the line in five E, for example. True point. That's a very interesting perspective. I like that. Down the line is a great way to present role-playing opportunities without necessarily being low, stat-wise. That being said, I think the distinction between low and poor stats is important. I have no problem with low stats, as Sean would say, as long as the system supports it. Slightly unrelated, but since Pathfinder was brought up, Pathfinder was incredibly focused on builds and wasn't the game for me. However, the new playtest has made it a lot more open. It's now my preferred fantasy D20 game. Wow. Bold. Bold statement bold. from Mr. Drescher. Bold statement, yeah. It's not even out yet. No, it's not. Very bold, though. I like no, that. That makes test. me want to look at it again. Yeah. Very unrelated. Tim Kask, in the most recent Carmudgeon in the Cellar, talked about how with companies trying to appeal to kids, nothing wrong with that, both his and mine, my opinion, they seem to neglect the adult demographic. He wondered when he, we collectively would get some adventures of higher caliber instead of Hardy Boys adventures. Was wondering if you wanted to weigh in on that. So inconceivably unrelated, I might be making a career change from caregiving to LARP. Hmm. Amazing Whoa. pay, gaming related and financially life-sustaining. Very excited. Whoa. Professional LARPer. Great show as always. May your sword stay sharp and your wits stay sharper. Damn, Michael, when we talk to you next in person, I'd like to hear more about that LARP thing, man. That sounds, that's intriguing. So I still think, I still think that there is a way that it depends on people's lifestyles, but I think there's still a way you can do quite a bit of things professionally, and especially today's age, that wasn't possible 10 or 15 years ago. Oh, fuck yeah. Tons and of that things. includes LARPing and maybe game mastering. Oh, agreed. Absolutely. Now, one of the things that Mr. Drescher mentioned <clears throat> when he talked about companies appealing to kids, this is a thing my buddy Lenny would say this. He has told me this repeatedly, that he thinks a lot of newer games, some of them anyway, the ones that he's read and such, are he, he, he refers to lovingly as lowest common denominator games. He's like, why do they have, why does everything have to be you're like, so, you know, oh, it's too crunchy. That's too hard. It needs to be a little easier. The you know the bear for entry is too high for this game. We need to make it blah, blah, blah. And I look at him and go, well, um, not that many people want to buy a very difficult game that's high barrier to entry. He's like, okay, fair. However, that doesn't mean the other game is bad. That's his perspective. Is um, He starts off, as Brett often does, with a statement of hyperbole and comes around to the actual point. And I think... Um, there's something interesting about that, and that's where <clears throat> we're actually going to talk about that uh, as part of today's topic a little bit, Michael. But I think I think there's there's something interesting about that. You know, 
and it kind of appeals to kids. I almost wonder when I hear that, I'm like, when I think kids, I think my two youngest, I think my 10 and 12 year old. I don't know if that's what Tim, Mr. Cask is talking about and what Mr. Drescher is talking about, or if we're talking about kids as Sean and I are now old enough to say this 20 somethings and younger. <laughs> Damn right. kids. We appreciate your demographic. But just, just get off our gamer lawn. We still like you, and we will game with you, but you are quite a bit younger. Yes. That's so, just fact. That's just fact. Total fact. You are younger, period. Whatever that means. But Good just, and bad. So I haven't read the uh, – I have not read the Tim Cask thing. I should probably try to look them that up, curmudgeon in the cellar. I'll have to take a look at that. But anyway, that is an interesting piece and may weren't its own – little subtopic, so I'm going to throw the one in uh, Hoppa, Mr. Dresha, and see what we can get to. Cool stuff. Thank you. Oh, and I do like the idea between low and poor as a definition. That does make sense. And the idea that the system mechanically may not support <laughs> you having less than optimal stats. I'm going to make this character really hard. Everybody keeps dying. Why is that? Well, because the game assumes a level of optimization. Oh, but we don't want to do that. This may not be the game for you. I think that's right. the answer, right? Yeah, that's true. Anything else on that, Sean? No. All right, what do we got next? Ah, Thomas at Beholder's Horde emailed us. Hello, BSers. The shows have been great, and I've really enjoyed the guests you guys had on 200 and 201. Thanks, Thomas. Really cool. I feel several of the latest shows relate to player skill and play style. In 198, you spoke of character evolution. Sean had a good point about in-game time versus playtime. Everybody's familiar with how easy it is to hand-wave a 100-mile, five-day trip as uneventful just to get to the CR-10 encounter that took up the rest of the game session. So for me, PM evolution most often takes place from P the event... PC, PC sorry, PC. P yeah. I said PM? Oh, my God. You, you I, said PM. Wow. Wow. So project manager evolution. <laughs> project manager evolution. Eventually, yeah. you turn into me. Don't do this, kids. It's a dangerous, slippery slope. Right. Uh, <clears throat> so for me, PC, not not personal computer, but actual right. player character evolution, right. most often takes place from the events my PC goes through, both good and bad, not the time spent in play. I also think the PC growth and change adds to the game experience overall. I think this also directly connects to show 201 low-level play. I feel the same way as Brett about this being an important part of PC and story development. A player can write one hell of a backstory, but the other PCs and players usually don't have a part in this process. In low-level play, everyone's, everyone is playing as part of the story. Hey, look, we're back to PC evolution. <laughs> Plus, I think it is just fun. On the topic of poor stats, my first PC ever was rolled with 3D6 straight down the line. The first and highest roll was a 16. Damn. <laughs> my DM at the time... Joyfully announced, oh, look, you got a fighter. This is back around 1985 playing first edition. That's how it was done back then. Since then, I have my players roll 46 seven times, using the best three dice and taping the top, taking the top six scores. One of the groups I play with, the DM, has the players roll 46, keeping the best three. But all the scores must add up to over 70 points, or you re-roll. She lets the players do this at least three times if they want to, keeping the best set. I personally have no issue Playing a PC with less than optimal stats. I do feel that adventures should be done above the local town drunk or even the average farmer in skill level. Uh, then again, playing a PC with defining traits or less than ideal qualifications for a job can really make the role-playing fun. I would say, uh, excuse me, it would be just silly to play a wizard with 18 strength and a 12 or 13 intelligence. Unless a PC has never liked fighting and has always been fascinated by magic. 
I could easily see myself playing wizard who runs into the room clubbing everyone with his staff, yelling, I cast staff of SmackDown when my magic just didn't work right. I like that. But hey, that's probably just me. <laughs> that's awesome. The need to having lots of high stats may go back to player skill and using the high numbers as a crutch because a player may have trouble coming up with imaginative way around a problem. It may also be a min-max play style where the player feels he only has a good PC if it's the best at everything. I'm not saying that either, uh, either of these aforementioned items... Oh, God. Aforementioned. I can't read or speak. Aforementioned. Items are bad. I have both in the groups I play with. It may be just how they like to play, as long as it doesn't hinder the group or the other players. Well, I guess they're doing it right. Once again, the shows really have been awesome. I don't recall who said it, but when the guy said something to the effect that each time a new show drops, it's like back in the day when you went to the mailbox and found a new issue of Dragon Magazine had arrived. The fun and enjoyment of listening to you guys always adds a bright spot to my week. Dude, that is so nice. I always enjoy the way the topic gets worked over and smacked around. You seem to work very hard at looking at the topics from all sides and trying to cover each point of view, even if it's not one you personally share. Keep the adventures lively and the PCs alive. Thomas at Beholder's Horde. That was very nice. Very nice. Very flattering. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Mr. Beholder's Horde. And some good in, and some good insights and thoughts around that, too. I love hearing people's different perspectives on this stuff. As we've said before, obviously... We can't be right all the time. Um, I mean, we—I mean, I usually am, but anyway, right? right. It is—it's uh, very cool to see other people's reactions and thoughts around these things. So, pretty cool. Thanks, man. Over to you, Sean. The Reese Monster takes us back to episode one hundred and seven. Woo! Damn. That's do you remember where back. you? Do you remember where you were back then, Brett? Do you remember where you were when we recorded one hundred and seven? I was in this chair. That's all, that. That's all I can say. Look at say. that, man, how impactful it was. Steel trap mind. Hey, dudes. I would prefer call, being called my dude. Would you? Yeah. What? Like when people say, address me, I would prefer from now on to be called, hello, my dude. I was thinking of trying to get people to call me his holiness, but I thought that might be a little. That's steep. A little too much. Carry on. The Reese Monster here in Texas, letting you uh, know I'm calling BS. Uh-oh. Yikes. Brace for impact, Brett. All right, I'm buckling in. Hang on. Another little drink of whiskey here. We'll be all right. Been working my way up through the episodes, and I've wanted to write in on a topic before, but not until 107 have I felt compelled to do so. See, it's just that it's that trigger point, man. You just kind of go, boil, 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 snap. Yeah, exactly. It seems you guys understand that there can be nuance to evil characters, but have mostly experienced them as juvenile expressions of the inner edge lord that lives somewhere in all of us, not unlike playing Grand Theft Auto. Hmm. I agree that chaotic evil is not a sustainable character alignment unless you're you're ad powerful. Hmm. Unless you've ad powerful as a, you're as powerful as a demon, but evil as I'm sure you know, is more than just rape, pillage, murder, torture. Those are just often the extreme means you can use to achieve or acquire your goals and desires. But that's all surface. Why not explore what makes an evil person? What created them and motivates them really? Yeah, yeah, man. I'm with you. It's good. I like it. I like it. Evil games can be fun and engaging and a way for players and DMs to look at the game from another perspective. The player's from the bad guy's side, and the DM gets to build an adventure from the other side. 
My group has only ever run one evil game, and the party was made up of two lawful evil and two neutral evil characters, and our job was to take control of, of a town's law enforcement for the evil empire and to di dispose the local church as the leadership of the villagers. Depose, sorry. No, it would be dispose. Okay. The game presented challenges such as how an unfamiliar alignment really plays out and how we each thought about evil. Our greatest enemy wound up being someone more evil and conniving than we were, the masses and ourselves because of some infighting. My binder knocked out knocked our black guards dick in the dirt. <laughs> All right, sweetness. Sometimes it's fun to be the bad guys and I've heard it said that the devil has the best lines. Well, that's certainly true. That's very true. It's understandable that not everyone is up to getting into it, the subject that can be presented, but it's a valid experience given the right players and avoidance of doing something just because you can, can and thinking about why you would, why would you do this morally objectionable thing. Keep up the good work, boys. You're always making me think about new angles to see problems and challenges from, and I hope I've done something similar with this email. The Reese Monster. Cool. Rar. Should always be the Reese Monster. Rar. I like it. You know what's interesting? You know yeah. what's interesting? The evil thing is interesting. I like some of the points you have. I think one of the pieces that the Reese Monster brings up that is most important is valid experience given the right players. I think that's key. You know, when Sean, when you talk about Sean and I um, referencing juvenile expressions, and so forth. I think that's very true. And I think that if the people I played that with, had they actually been honest, they would have said, yeah, if I do that, I'm really not going to, that, that's kind of what I'm going to do. I'm just going to be crazy weird or crazy evil. You know, it's, it's in the interest. It's an interesting perspective. Huh? But the <laughs> Reese monster rar, what is evil? I pose to you <laughs> because what you might've been doing might've been good. Could have been keeping the trains running on time. Could have used a real uh, a, a, a firm hand and making things move in the proper direction. Well, as you I've know. said before, I mean, I, I ran a vampire game for 15 years. And vampires are evil, evil motherfuckers. They kill people. They drain their blood. They treat human as cattle, so on and so forth. Even with those who were angstfully trying to regain their lost humanity, they're still evil monsters. So, yeah, evil can be fun in the right group in the right setting, and I think it's um, it's it's interesting. I, God, we've talked about that forever ago. That might be one of those topics we got to pull back out one of these days and just take a look at it and see if we've got anything different to say about it. Am I evil? That's one of my favorite Metallica songs, man. Dun -dun -dun -dun. Yes, I fucking am. Yes, I am. <laughs> gotta get the unedited version, man. Yeah, All right, that's a that's a. Turn it up to 12. <laughs> Shall we? Yeah, let's get to the main topic. All right. Might have to find a different intro to that. It seems a little long. Well, it's been done for a while. We could change it up. Oh. So, all right. <clears throat> this kind of goes to the Pathfinder thing that we've thrown out back and forth. 
I had a couple conversations with my buddy Lenny and Zave and a few other guys in my home group. Something that I realized I thought was actually pretty interesting. We will talk oftentimes about, oh, this game's too crunchy or whatever it is. When I was talking to my guys, well, Lenny loves Pathfinder. It's one of his favorite games. I'm like, why is it your favorite game, dude? You know? And the, the debate. <clears throat> so he loves, and most of the guys, a lot of the guys in the group like this, what I would call like official documented options for character growth, change, and advancements. They love that shit. You know, so in Vampire, you would have, hey, you see your character sheet, <clears throat> and you have, you know, Thaumaturgy, the, uh, your Tremere had those spellcasting abilities, and hey, you had Fortitude, and hey, you had Celerity, and this and this and this. And there was a dot progression. I want to save up enough experience points so I can get level three, which is rocked, you know, stone to flesh, or I want this because I can get that. And I know some people dig that because it's like the away from the game stuff, you know, where you work your character away from the gaming table. And I think that's actually very, very legitimate. But I think it's interesting that a reason that some people really like the crunchy games is not because the combat is crunchy or the game is crunchy in play. They want options. And I think oftentimes the options are referred to as crunch by a lot of us, right? Oh, there's so many feats. Oh, there's so many player options. There's so many this or that. Even if you play the core rulebook for Pathfinder and you want to play every permutation of the fighter you can think of with just a core book, you'll be doing that for a long time. Um, but one of the reasons why some of my guys like that is because they love the options. They love the documented options. They don't mind in the game finding a magic item or something, an in-game advancement or tweak or something that's different that we've developed as a story plot or a hook point or something that's happened in the game. But they love being able to look at a list of things. Like, this is how I can progress, and these are the options. I think Lenny's statement to me was, give me a lot options and lots of them. I want to know different things I can do. And if I say something like, well, you just tell me whatever it is you want to do. He's like, okay, um, boring. Don't you have a list? There's nothing to do. It's just whatever I want. I'm just making it up as I go. That doesn't trip his trigger at all. I'm like, huh. I just, when I look at Pathfinder with that lens, Pathfinder specifically, I think of that game totally differently. That the crunch is for the players to manage, not me. Because the combats, the events, the things that I'm doing there, I really don't run a Pathfinder combat any differently than I do a 5e combat. Really. Okay. So, what I was curious about, Sean, is... Do you, when you think about crunchy systems and advancing characters and stuff, when you look at it as a player or players in your group, do they look at games and say, oh, this one doesn't have enough choices for me? Have you ever thought about that when you look at a game saying, this one doesn't have enough? I'll, I'm using the term official documented because I can't come up with a better one, but like official documented choices for you, a skill tree, a feat tree, or something like that. Do you ever look at a game and say, oh, there's not enough character advancement in this game? Options. Not when I buy one. I usually don't. I, I don't review it that closely. Okay. Uh, maybe could, you should. Damn it. I know. Maybe I should. That is indeed the uh, could be debated. Um, I think it's there is a lot of games that are that are do task reward right. Do get rewarded, get leveled up. That's rinse repeat. Yeah, but when you level up, do you want the 
Redbox BX style of, oh, your second level fighter, uh, other than your statistics and the random magic item you may have obtained, a second level fighter is a second level fighter is a second level fighter. There's no difference. Same skills, same powers, same abilities. Do you like that? Or do you like having, hey, I leveled up. I want to sit down and figure out. I mean, throw out optimized and all that bullshit. Just say, I want to be able to sit down and say, wow, it'd be really cool to take this feat. It'd be really cool to improve this specific skill. Do you like that? I tell you, while you think about it, I'll say this. I started thinking about it after I had that conversation, and I honestly don't know. There's parts of me that like that, and other parts of me don't. You know, I, I don't care if I'm playing first edition AD and D and my character just advances at a very predictable next level I get this power, next level I get this power, and not a lot of variation. That doesn't phase me. Sometimes. Other times, like, oh, I'd really like to play this game because it has these options to it. You don't know? So I do... I uh, I don't know. I don't know if I like the... Are you talking about strictly advancement? Yeah, options, player options. Well, player options, I think you got to have to some degree, whether that's a, an advance. So there, I think there's a difference between advancement and then player options. Okay, let's say a player options for advancement. There we go. Whoa, dude, that's totally different. Yeah, totally. So first edition fighter in AD&D. Yes. That's fifth level, has the same powers that every other fifth level fighter in AD&D has. That's core. It's the same. Yeah. A fifth level fighter in Pathfinder is not the same. Most likely, as the next. Oh, so I see. I see where I see where they're getting at. Yeah, what they're getting at. Yeah, so they're talking about you can have. Yes, so I see the the want for the diversity piece. That is, oh, eh, that makes sense for them. I okay. could see that. Like uh, now, yeah. does that trip? Does that trip your trigger when you're like, hey, I want a fifth level character, and I want to differentiate him through feats and advancement options. I want to really have that. So with Lenny, first of all, I respect that preference because I get where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. They are diversifying or they're looking at the diversification of a, say, fighter in this example mm-hmm. to be different based on the rules and the mechanics of those rules. Yes, and I think that's interesting to me because it ties into stuff you've told me. Like, hey, if you have mechanics to support that difference, that's really helpful, Brett, you dumb shit. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess so. And then I throw that in and I hear that from Lenny. I'm like, oh, I get it now. I get why he wants those things because there's a mechanical reason that he has them. It's something something he can count on in the game. Right. Now, my only caveat to that is... Why can't I just play the fighter differently from a role-playing perspective? Because there's no mechanical bonus for that, Sean. There isn't any mechanical bonus for that, right? There is no boon. There is no you get XP for a great. I mean, you can get inspiration. Oh, you can. I mean, well, even in uh, you could. I could award so I could award experience points to leveling up and so forth based on really cool role-playing. But rules as written wise. As a thing you can count on, and this is where the rules is written, I think this and maybe <laughs> this topic is going to bounce me all over here, but <clears throat> I really think, and one of the reasons that Lenny explained this to me is like, I like to know I can count on it. 
yeah, Brett, you're gonna yep. fuck with me. Yeah, you're gonna take my magic sword away. Yeah, you're gonna get somebody else with a fucking, you know, rending power will tear my armor off me because you made up some jacked up Brett monster. You fuck. But I know for a fact that when I attack with this feat and this setup, da 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 da, da I get a plus ten. I know that. I bank on it. And I want to be able to make plans and do things. I want to have a level of certainty. Granted, the world is going to be uncertain and craziness will ensue. But I want to be able to build my character and advance him in such a way that he or she has reliable aspects. I get it. I get it. And I think that is the allure of many a people that play. Yeah. And they, they may not even know that. Quite possible. I don't. Con- I did. Consciously, I, don't, I, I wasn't. Con- I wasn't even conscious of that thing until yeah. he explained it to me that way. Yeah. When he explains it like that, I'm like, oh, I get it. Right. Before it'd be like, why is this optimization such a big trigger point for this person? Why is this such a big freaking deal? To me, it's like, oh, it's a reward. It's a reward type system. You know, mm-hmm. throw them a bone. You know, that's the boon thing. It's why people play World of Warcraft. Maybe not always, but you know, but at the same time, now that he puts it in that. Uh, or provides that perspective. I'm kind of like, huh, interesting. Because I, I mean, <clears throat> and this is this goes into the guts of kind of how Brett GMs. That if I take a three o three five or a Pathfinder game or a first edition, if I'm just taking with a D and D type genre or five e or whatever, apart from the mechanics of how a fight breaks out or how you use a skill. Or the mechanics of how you award bonuses for things, advantage, disadvantage, or other ad hoc whateverage, second edition D and DM essentially the same. I try to use the use the system. <coughs> excuse me, in the fights, in the combat. Hey, you can't do that. This person's power. This NPC can stop you from doing that, or whatever. And even in uh, even in the vampire days, when I did when a new edition of vampire would come out, we would read up on what changes happened within the system. But it didn't stop how I game mastered. And by that I mean it doesn't stop how I develop plot. It doesn't stop how I do all those soft, squishy things that, in my opinion, only experience teaches you as a game master. You have to experience these certain, you know, story beats and blah, 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 all that stuff. The crunch of the game really only annoys me. I shouldn't say even annoy. You know, I, I started thinking about it, like, why don't I like that crunch? Because it really doesn't bother me, Brett. My story, the game I'm gonna, my, my story, the the story I'm trying to help the players tell. It sounds like I'm railroading them into into my land here, but <clears throat> what I'm going, the opportunities I'm going to throw out, whatever other euphemism you want, I'm not changing that. My ups, my downs, my beats, my options, my hey, do you want to go through this door, or that door? You want to go into space? You want to go back in time? All that stuff is going to happen. In this Avalon game, whether I use Pathfinder, 5e, or Osric, it doesn't matter. Those cool things are not relying on that. The players, though, these couple guys in my group really love those options. So I'm thinking, you know, I may have to pull Pathfinder back out. Because if you play a game the players love, they're going to have more fun. So why not pull Pathfinder back out? Because, quite frankly, how hard could it be? B, to DM that, I did it for years, it's not that big a deal. And if they like the options that are baked into the system, why would I take them and try to cram more feats and things into 5e if they're already existed somewhere else? Anyway, just... Well, that's totally crazy. I know, it's insane. 
<laughs> but when Lenny laid it out for me like that, I'm like, huh, that's that's interesting. I see why you like that. You like the crunchiness because of the predictability of it. You like the crunchiness because you know I'm going to do stuff that may break the crunch. I may do something that lays over some, you know, DM mystical stuff that makes the game, oh, wow, he, he bent broke the rules, did something because he's not bound to them. He can do other things. But I know for a fact that in most circumstances, this plus three flaming sword will do this much da- uh, this damage range and this attack bonus and da 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 or whatever the skill we're talking about is. So I was wondering, you know, because when I look at a game system, I don't look at character growth. And I think maybe the other thing that's kicking me with this too is Invisible Sun is so focused on character, 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 character. And reading that and having that conversation, I'm like, huh, I don't, much like you, I joked at you earlier, when I read a game system, I don't think, oh my God, this has great character progression. I don't read them like that. I don't read it to say how does the, how would a character progress and would my group enjoy this this type of progression? I don't think about that. And I wonder if that's something I should start thinking about. Well, if that's what your players want to consider. Yeah, they're I'm, not they're they're not going to want to play basic. Yeah. I mean, if they real that that's what I'm thinking, you know, like, "Hey, I I'll bring it up like, oh yeah, sure. I'll, yeah, we could give that a try." And like, it seemed half-hearted. Wonder why that is. Like, oh, wait a minute. But you guys are playing Star Wars D six, which okay. So, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with playing other games, but no, Star Wars D six is the uh, has plenty of options. You got skills and things you can buy, and true, buy your pips up, get your dice here. I get X number of character points, spread them out however I want. I'm making a really kick ass pilot who's a really good, um, good space gunner, all that stuff. FFG is a better method, though. Probably. I mean, it's there's the talent tree. Oh yeah, right, and those cost points. But I think to your earlier point, though, when I look at a game, I don't read it and say, "Oh wow, how's the how do characters develop here?" I don't. No. I never look at it until That's it happens. It. Someone goes, "Okay, I level up. What does that get me?" I'm like, "I have no fucking idea what that gets you because I didn't pay any attention to it when I read the game." And I wonder if that's something that now that I'm playing more and with this other perspective, I'm like, "Huh, you know, maybe when I." grab that new game or look it over how characters progress is a hell of a lot more important to some of my players than it is to others. And I think it's honestly never thought of it that way, which is mind boggling that this just came to me now in my forties that like, Holy shit, people care about this thing. And that's one of the reasons why they like the crunch pieces of it. So I guess John, back to my question. I don't think I, I didn't give you enough time to answer it. Do you, do you like when you progress your character, do you like that type of, official tree and stuff when you play ffg star wars do you like the tree do you like that approach to character development or would you do you like kind of that ad hoc you know less less documented approach oh i think i like the uh the ability to choose options for my character do you like lots of options and by lots, you know, I mean if 5e has some, but 5e doesn't have as many as Pathfinder does. I like the options that are presented by FFG Star Wars simply because it doesn't feel like I'm over-optimizing my character. Ah, okay. And I don't think there's anything wrong with optimizing your character. I just think that my preference isn't that same component even though 
uh, somebody out there is going to be like, but Sean, if you're choosing options, you're going to base those choices on certain for certain reasons. And most of the times those reasons are because you want to be good at something, be good at something, which is optimizing. Yes. So I see the, I see that I get that, but, but I there's, also, there's oh, sorry, also, keep going, keep going. I was going to say, there's also ways to, you know, on a tree, you could become deep or you could become broad. So I think sometimes, and I think in some games you can do that as well. So you could play Pathfinder and you could become deep or broad, but really, if you're Fightor, I mean, you kind of know the path you're going to take. You're going to go, oh, I'm going to go this, and then I'm going to go cleave, and then I'm going to go great cleave, then I'm going to go so here's the, cleave here's, all over people. So I'll pick my buddy Lenny again. And one of the yeah. interesting things about him is he loves that choice. He will purposely make suboptimal choices based on the role-playing of the game. He will. Case in point. So his character, Newt. So Newt starts off as a... Uh, as a griffin, a guard within the city of Avalon, in his spare time, he engages in illegal pit fights. Hmm. So he started off this way, and eventually his character becomes part of the White Griffins, which is this kind of a sub-organization that deals with supernatural threats within the city. He befriends this guy named Beecher, who's a, who is a member of the Torturer's Guild, who's played by Beta's character. And his entire skill set, he went from, like, I'm going to be like a, a war pick... I'm going to use this, this, and this. He changed his weapon style. He changed his style of fighting. Um, he changed the type of skills he wanted to have and what he wanted to really get into. He's like, you know what? This doesn't even make any sense anymore because the way I've developed, the way the, the story's going for Newt, it makes more sense for him to be <clears throat> become skilled in sailing because we're spending time in a boat. I really need to, this makes more sense for me. So his character, Tree, and the shit he's into, if you will, is all over the fucking board. But it represents, kind of as Robert E. Howard would say about Conan, you know, a, a person telling a wildlife, you know, just told at random, <laughs> to paraphrase. It's this kind of, it's this motley assortment of wacky-ass skills that if you look at yourself, you're like, wow, yeah, I know how to do a whole bunch of crazy-ass shit, you know. I know how to fly fish, I know how to do this, I know how to do that. Oh, yeah, and I can fix a computer. Oh, I could do this other thing, too. Oh, I know how to make wine, blah, blah, blah. It's this weird motley assortment of things you get through living. And he does like to do that and just but having that assortment of skills and diverging from it for sub optimization, he would I, I wouldn't think he sees this sub optimizing. I think Lenny would see it as I'm actually making this character more real and more believable. I'm optimizing the character in the believability aspect. I'm optimizing him towards this makes sense. Not just because I want to be I know that in two more feats I have long spear uber mastery and nobody can touch me. He could give a fuck about that. That's cool. That's an original goal maybe. But then the story has changed and his character's perspective changed. He adjusts it. And having those multiple trees and options, he digs that shit. I don't know if that changes your opinion or thought there, but... It doesn't necessarily change my opinion or thought, but I just I think that when you look at those types of systems, um, yeah, no, I could see, I could see where you could go go that way. But I think for, for that reason, a thing you said though about FFG is the feel. You know, when you read certain systems, and maybe it's just because it's it's how people around us have played it. Or our instincts when we read it, or it's just perception, blah, blah, blah. But some games have a feeling to a, pl- a person. 
that, hey, this one feels like I really need to optimize for fighting. I need to be a combat monster. That's the only way I can survive in this game. In another game, like FFG Star Wars, with the funky dice and the really cool symbols, and hey, we're going to tell a story, and you roll a thing, and you figure it out, and fate, and, and those types of games, it doesn't make you want to build the best combat monster, right? If you're taking a skill in something, you're like, I want to have the ability to better describe my actions, right? I want to have the ability to better narrate a thing as opposed to I want to get another plus on this to hit. I don't know a better way to describe it offhand, but I think it's like I want to be, I want to have this mechanical narrative advantage versus this mechanical die rolling advantage. Does that make sense? I do. It does. I'm probably not even splitting that correctly, but it do, it does. But I think that at the same time, there's many of those options that are very power based. Yes. Yep. I mean, let's face it. You, when you run into those types of games, you are gaining some advantage in one respect or another. Even if you're taking, you know, if you're taking a bard option, and that bard option allows you to sing a song that that has a bonus to your bardic knowledge or your bardic... Or rallies the troops or does something. Right, some morale boost or whatever it is, you get a boost. And If If I take a better starfighter pilot, hey, guess what? I get starfighter pilot, I get a better die. You get a better die. You get a better chance of doing better as a star pilot. So I don't... A lot of those aren't like... They're, they're always a better option. They're not, Yep. which is not a good or bad thing. It's just that's what they're there f- to do. It's not, called a, it's, it's not called advancement because you stay the same. Right. Because you're going forward, right? Right. But at the same time, it doesn't, it doesn't color your character. Now, somebody would say, well, that's what role-playing is for. True, yes. Right? That's how, well, you change something, but that's how you role-play. But what if it allows, like, for example, this would be a perfect one, and I'm sure there's a feat in some systems that allow you to do this. It comes down to, well, I get extra languages. Yeah. So extra languages, some would argue that, well, that allows you to talk to more people. But I don't think it's the same. It's not at the same context as, well, I get a plus on my rally the troop roll. I don't get a plus on a to hit roll. I don't get a plus on a to damage roll. It, it literally changes who that character is. Even meta ma- magic spells still gives your spells boosts. So what about the things that allow you to... Because if you're the best linguist in the world, but you still can't swing a sword, you can end up getting eaten by the goblins because you couldn't fight them off. Right? I mean, it's the it's the, the soft skill, right? You're a really right. great linguist. Good for you. Um, in this particular game, you know, the bug bladder beast of Troll ate your head. Because you have shit dodge. Sorry. Like, the like I don't know if disguise would come into play. Or you could become better at disguise. So then you become a master of disguise. Where that and languages, some of the softer stuff that doesn't really apply to... Combat. Combat. Because... Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if anybody out there, I would be interested if somebody has sat down in any game 
and you've looked at the boons, and that could be 5e. It doesn't have to be like a really feet-heavy based game like Pathfinder, but sit there and count the boons and how those boons have to do with combat. Well, combat, for the most part, in many role-playing games, is the centerpiece. It's It's the deal. That's the deal, man. That's why we play, right? That's why my guys at the table this past weekend were like, hey, where's our XP? And I say, hey, you didn't kill a single thing this whole freaking eight hours. You didn't give them anything for getting through traps or anything? You got nothing? I think I'm going to do milestone XP, but... That's what you ought to do. Yeah. Anyway, I think... um, <laughs> So, the one that, when I hear people say, I don't like BX... Or I don't like some of the OSR games because they're limiting. Do you turn away? Do you turn away and shun them? I, I do. I just go. I don't know you. Who which are is, you? Which Please. is sad because one of them's my son. Oh, well, not, not anymore. But I mean, he was. Well, he was at one point. <clears throat> he was at one point. Not anymore. Not anymore. Ilana's Brett, my new. I, my, my daughter's my new favorite child. That's just hey, how it goes. My youngest respect. daughter. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, when stand, they say, stand by your convictions, Brett. Damn it, you, you little fucker, get over here, <laughs> slap him down. What's wrong with you, kid? Can you imagine being in Brett's household just from listening to this podcast? I like, am just, not that. Just knowing I am Brett not that from bad. this podcast, I am just, not that bad. He's not that bad, but it's it's totally funny that you you may only hear him from just this perspective. So come to game hole, my wife and my kids will be there. You can ask my my youngest son and daughter to their face. Am I this bad? They will. Wait a prep. minute! So you're bringing up this son again, the, the one uh, that you had in the past. Oh, that's it. I have two kids. I have two sons. Oh, man. I got five kids. I, I am fault tolerant and fully redundant in both <laughs> sons and daughters. That's that's true. Yes, I have them now scattered. That they're now starting to spread out across the state. So I am actually. I'm sorry. That's way too it-ish. Anyhow, point is, <laughs> when people will say, "Hey, I don't like that BX gamer. I don't like DCC because they don't like." The standard progression, or what people, uh, this is, I'm putting some words and trying to paraphrase a bit here. Stand, we're getting along on this one. <clears throat> yeah, we are. But standard progression, they're like, oh, I want more options. And I think it's interesting as to, you know, why people like that. And I think some of it is all the shit we just talked about. So, anyway, enough. I think we beat that that one for a bit. But I, I found this, I found this to be interesting. I hope listeners, if you, if you men, women, Read through this, read through this, listen to us. <laughs> when you read games, do you look for character progression? Is that a type? How do you like your character progression options? Do you like them to be kind of ad hoc, you know, made up, if you will? Do you like a standard set? Do you like something different? Do you like something crunchy and and or why? I'm just, um, it's just interesting. And like I said, I took a look at it and then like, well, my players like it. Why do they like it so much? And then it. Kind of, I don't know. For whatever reason, there's a, it's a totally different lens for me when I'm looking at this at Pathfinder and a couple of those other games now. So, anyway, let us know what you think. Yeah, shall we let die us, roll? Let us know what you think. All right. Alrighty then, die roll. Brett had a game weekend. Yes. You didn't even talk about your gaming weekend, Brett. Well, I said a little bit. We played. Uh, I played the temple. I almost died, and then we played uh, Star Wars. I said this at the beginning. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm glad you I'm glad you paid attention to me, Sean. Well, usually when Brett's gaming, he doesn't he doesn't have a die roll. Yes. Well, actually, when Brett I, does anything, he doesn't have a die roll. I'm kind of bad at this. <laughs> I'm giving you an opportunity to hold up your end, and that's okay. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, Andrew Cohen uh, dropped us an email, and he wanted to uh, pimp his, his project in his studio. So he created Tomb of Scal- Scalbar. Scalbar? Scalbar. It's a 3D turn-based video game using 5E rules. So he, he kind of wrote up a little email and said, Hey, you know, I really like tabletop RPGs. And I like video games. And so I created my own studio. So I give him props for doing that because that shit is no joke. Like no, creating your own, shit. your own video game. And, and that's, that is time consumption there, ladies and gentlemen. Just ask Goblin Studios. Was it wow. Goblin Studios? Could have been. Don't know. The ones that were creating the Pathfinder RPG? Oh, might be. <laughs> yeah. Good. <laughs> the non-existent um, one? That one? I don't know. It's Ryan Dancy's uh, venture. Anyway. Uh, anyways, number two. So check that out if you if you want to just give. We'll have a link in the show notes. Check out Andrew's stuff. Second one, hottest new board games from Gen Con via Ars Technica. So again, going to some of the board game listeners out there, showing you a little love because we don't talk about a ton of them here. Um, tabletop, talk, board game podcast uh, by Mr. Steele. It's probably gone over some of these, but if you missed Gen Con and you want to know what's coming as far as board games come or, or go, check out this link. And then the next one, Midgard Adventures. I did not know this. But the folks at Cobalt Press, which is Wolfgang Bauer and the, the, the individuals over there, have 5e and Pathfinder organized play set in their Midgard setting. That's cool. Yeah. So check that out. It's not just D&D Adventurers League. There's other options that are out there. To include Shadowrun has one out there as well. People might not know know about um, fourth one, I'm just on a tear this week, ladies and gentlemen. Fourth one, BSer Jared Rasher, also a gnome from the Gnome Stew, blogged about um, his he he BSed on campaigns. So we talked about campaign settings, and he was uh, inspired to write up his own entry. So get his thoughts over there. Not on the Gnome Stew, it's on his personal blog, but nonetheless, some good thoughts from Mr. Rasher. And lastly, I found this somewhere um, on my news feed somewhere, but there's a dungeon generator that you can go out, it's web-based, hit refresh. I thought we put it out there episodes ago, but I couldn't find a link in our show notes, so you'll have to check this one out. It is literally just a mapping of a dungeon right there's no it's not keyed there's no treasure it's not filled with anything but i mean if you need something on the fly that's just out there this will come in handy so you'll want to bookmark that i i swear we have done this This, it's still cool it's worth bringing back up this thing's fun and then i will wrap it up so brett doesn't have to talk Charles White pointed out a product that has some cool ideas on a, how to mix up your monsters a bit. Well, that's the Bane thing he posted. That's Bane's, yeah. It's in, we got a link in the show notes to the drive-through um, RPG uh, link there. Basically, you know, things like, hey, we all know that cold iron hurts elves, and this does this, and so on. So it's that type of approach to monsters. 
So, and uh, I just I do want to say one thing when we talk about board games and stuff. Tabletop Tabletop Game Talk Podcast. That's Chris Steele. Um, got a link in the show notes. I'll put that in as my little diary. Just to remind people to check them out. Oh, and I gotta say this. Um, I'm gonna. I'm, Chris Steele and his wife are pregnant, which is really, really cool. Oh, is that right? They're yeah. expecting. They are expecting. Wow. So congratulations, Mr. and Mrs. Steele. That is quite awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. So Sydney and Chris, that's really cool. I, told, I, I They are planning to be at GameholeCon, so that should be pretty cool. Oh. Awesome. Anyway, Very just want nice. to sure, make sure I said that. Everybody can touch your belly. <laughs> no, don't do Which that. Which makes women feel kooky. <laughs> don't makes, do that. No, don't. Never. Just, never walk up to a pregnant woman and just assume you have access yeah. to her stomach. That's I don't understand. Idea. I don't understand why people do that. I never understood it. I don't. I don't know what it is, but I, I heard that's a thing. I distinctly remember somebody trying to do that to my wife, and I did not know who they were. And I stepped in front of her, and they kind of looked at me like, "What? I just want to touch your stomach like this." This, this is. I had the. This is not you fucking happening. Them, did, face. Did you just show them? Did you just say, "Well, you can touch mine," and then I will, <laughs> and then I will kill you. That's a better idea. I should have just lifted my shirt. Here, Here touch mine. I touch dare this. You. I, I dare you. <laughs> Mine's fuzzier. That, that, that's, that's, Stick that with idea. me, Brad. I got all kinds of ideas, uh, buddy. They're not good, but goddamn, they're ideas. That's right. All right. What are we talking about next week, Brad? Next week, we're going to have to talk about high magic because Christian Uh-oh. Sexy Voice Serrano came at me on, uh, on the G Pluses and... Uh, I think we might have to have a little high magic throwdown. We gotta get Wayne. Is Wayne coming too? I believe so. Okay, so if we can get Wayne Chang, Wayne Chang, yeah, and Christian Sexy Voice Serrano to talk Bo- about high magic, yeah. well, that means there's going to be bonus Eberron content discussion. It has to be. Well, is, is it specifically Eberron? No, we're gonna or- talk. We're gonna talk about high magic. But I, I said last the other episode, I'd said Eberron's high magic, and Sean said, "No, it's not." I said, "God damn yes, it is." So I think that will be the. Um, the thing which we argue around. <laughs> we'll probably somebody, use that as our key example. Somebody agreed with you on Twitter. You're goddamn remember. right they did. I can't they remember s- if it was Larry or somebody, but... No, I don't know. Like, I, I agree I, with Brett. No, you know, hands down, you know, lightning rail. Yeah. You know, ever-burning torches, high some, magic. Some people are scholars and uh, intelligent folk, and they do indeed, indeed agree with me. But it's not... <laughs> Save it for it, the next show, God damn it! Save it, deep. save it, save it. <sighs> Save it. Fine. <laughs> That's next episode. All right. Okay, well, this has been an episode of Gaming and BS. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good gaming all. This episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following patrons. Joe Swick, Brett's biggest fan, Forrest Gary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Jeppesen, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Remy Bilodeau, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Wayne Humphrey, James Carpio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Brandon Barnes, Dan LaValley, C.W. Mellencamp, The Lost Sailor, Misdirected Mark Productions, Christopher Gray, Finolf, Urkel Froelich, Eileen Barnes, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Todd Crapper, Wiss Static, Alexander Auerbach, Neil Benson, Chris Steele, Eric DeHoff Hoffman, Kyle Winter, Christopher Lang, Curtis Takahashi, Mark Tasaka, Larry Hout, Ray Otis, Ron Bishop, Craig Huber, Xavier G., J.V., John Hammersley, Closet Gamer, John Steve, Jared Rasher, Mark Richmond, Thomas Hook, Chad Gleeman, Sky, Roger Braslett, Evan Harrison Cass, Craig, Howard Bishop, Jim Fitzpatrick, Peter Skeins, Josh Wallace, Corey Welch, Eli Kurtz, Petiri Tertianen, Edwin Nagy, Bruce Cunnington, Aaron Coleman, Tim Shorts, Stefan Dragonspawn, Ionagus, Rolfer Guild, Gordon Cranford, Eric Salzweedle, Kevin Lovecraft, Matt Cyberlick, 
Jack Neller, Robert Nemeth, Eric Bontz, Palladian, Ron Blessing, Brian Kurtz, Knights of the Night Crew, and Laramie Wall. For ways to support the show, head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers! This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.